I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Old Lady Speaks podcast on Black and White and Red All Over. This is your host, Danny, coming to you for episode number 28. And let me get my uh, Portuguese here going. The Diego Ribas Tacuña episode. Sergio, how was my Latinized? Oh, it was pretty good. Pretty All right. Good job on the art. That's the years of Spanish showing off. So it is a three-man crew today. So we've got the aforementioned Sergio Romero. Hello, Sergio. Hey, Danny. How are you doing? I'm doing good. You're looking sharp in your new Pharrell jersey. So Thank props, props to that. you. And we've got Sam Lepresti. Hello, Sam. Hey, Danny. Uh, who was that? Diego <laughs> Ribas da Cunha. Or simply oh, that Diego. Diego. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, so not, I don't think I, I don't not, think of Brazilians beyond the the one word name, and so now I'm like, okay, so, that makes more sense. Yeah, now. I mean, the only Brazilian you know is with with more than one one name is Felipe Melo, and obviously we love him on this podcast. Yeah. Well, we've got well, no, there's there's one that we'll probably be talking about in just a minute. Yes. Yes. And that is a Maori. No, just kidding. No. Uh, <laughs> first, a couple of housekeeping things. The man who is not here, he's on his worldwide book tour. Just kidding. This is a pandemic. Uh, Chuck's plug for his book came out earlier this week. So props to him on the official release of You Say Soccer, I Say Football. Also, in terms of accolades for Juventus-related things, you can vote. Rita Guarino, the Juventus Women's Manager for UEFA Manager of the Year. You can also vote Cristiano Girelli and uh, Cristiano Ronaldo for their respective UEFA Team of the Year spots. So go on and do that. Also, I believe Matthias Delict is eligible. So vote him on there as well because he is our large adult son here on the podcast, or at least one of them. And so, yeah, it's been an interesting week, to say the least, in Juventus land for all of us. A very bad showing against Benevento. Who knows how much we'll actually talk about that. And then a, uh, a relatively solid showing in Champions League with Dinamo Kiev. And I don't know if it's just because Sergio's grab bag is usually the thing I read before we record. But the fact that we're still trying to figure out who the hell Juventus is was very much <laughs> fresh in my mind and very much has had me nodding as I read the first couple graphs of Sergio's grab bag. So I will go to Sergio and say, who the hell is Juventus and why is this team continuously making us wonder who the heck they are? Look, the, the thing is, and, and we do sound like a broken record at times because the thing is, the, the reasoning is pretty simple. Like, it's, like we've said over and over again, no preseason a bunch of injuries that kind of have stalled that, you know, development of, of, a, of a team, a bunch of experimentation that is going on all over the field. 
like those are the reasons like and, and i get it i don't expect to see the full product of what juventus you know will look like right now you know and what are we like two months in two and a half months in so you know i kind of get that but what i just can't really put my finger on is why are we getting such drastically different performances from like two to three days from from the other like it's I get that they're not always going to play great, but the way they played in that second half against Benevento is by far the worst I've seen this team, like the Andrea Pirlo version of this team. And it actually, it looked even worse than even some of the Mauricio Sarri era Juventus games. Like it was legitimately, it was lackluster. It was, you know, no ideas, no ambition, no nothing. They were just like passing the ball through. It looked like they were up by three goals. Like, it was really, really just bad. And, and then you get the Dinamo Kiev game, which wasn't spectacular, but at no point, even when they didn't look all that great, at no point was it anything similar to that. And, and it really makes me wonder, is it, a, is it a thing of stamina? Is it a thing of, like, the games catching up to these guys because they're getting little to no rest, a bunch of them? Uh, is it fatigue? Is it the travel? I, I don't really know what it is because you – really don't know what type of Juventus you're going to get from one game to the to the other and like I said I understand that we're still not quite there in terms of team development but I do expect like to see something a little bit more consistent at some point and we're not like we're not even close to being there so far yeah I think you hit it on the head Sergio I think that you know there there was you know, no, there was no time for Pirlo to have a normal install of his, of what he wanted to do. There are a lot of new players. There has been a lot of day-to-day lineup turnover because of the injuries, because Pirlo has been, Pirlo has been actively trying to rotate guys, especially in midfield, to keep them from, you know, just getting driven into the ground by this utterly relentless pace i we were talking before we hit record and i said you you know we're not apart from that like the the small micro break around christmas juventus is basically playing every three days until at least the end of january and even then there might be coppa italia games going on in there too and then like beyond the the one that is currently scheduled against genoa and so i I think that it's, you know, it's hard to, I think one thing about it is it's hard to develop. It's, it's already, you're already in a bad situation when it comes to developing chemistry and continuity with each other from, have, from not having a, a normal preseason. And then you throw in the fact that guys are coming in and out of the lineup pretty much on a game-to-game basis as a, and as a necessity. Like, this isn't a, a situation where, you know, in Max Allegri's last year, he literally ran 38 different starting lineups out in Serie A that year, and oftentimes for no reason. This is a lot different. There is a lot of, you know, reason to flip the squad around from game to game. Danilo finally got a game off for the most part yesterday, but, you know, also, you know, the injuries are, are I think, catching up with guys. You know, the center backs are just getting hammered Demerals out again possibly until the new year it it's just it's just this perfect storm of of disruption 
at a time when you need to be able to string together everything, you know, when you need to be able to string together continuity in order to be, in order to have that identity and get to it. And so it's, it's just a, it's a, a highly disadvantageous situation for the team and especially for Pirlo, you know, whether or not these stories that came out, I think it was yesterday or the day before from Corriere de la Sera that Pirlo was, you know, you know, not was, was communicating poorly uh, when it come, came to his tactics and that there were players that didn't know what they were supposed to do. And it might be Saudi 2.0, whether or not that's just clickbait nonsense is something that we can't tell from, from here, but he certainly doesn't have the, the, the deck shuffled in his favor right now, because this is it, it, just the conditions of the season and the realities of the season have have made it so much more difficult to actually get that identity and Juventus haven't even had like a major covid outbreak either so yeah it's it's just this is this must be so difficult for Pirlo to to try to figure out when you when you can't have your best you know you don't know what your best 11 is because you almost can't play the same 11 from game to game and that's what he's been doing i mean i know that i've said it on Twitter is that, you know, he's, he's trying to rotate in the midfield. We can see that, you know, Adrian Rabio has basically been on a play every other game kind of thing. These last couple of weeks, Arthur, basically the same Bentecourt, the same. And then, you know, you work in Weston McKinney where, where you can Paulo Dybala with how Alvaro Morata's suspension coming up is going to be, he's going to get kind of that game off type of type of deal. But yeah, it's the thing that I think is different from Sadi to Pirlo, at least in terms of how they're approaching stuff, is that Pirlo is experimenting, whereas Sadi was obviously the very much the, this is my system, this is how we're going to play, and I know I don't have the players for it, obviously with the midfield being what it was last year, most notably, but we're going to try and play it no matter what, rather than adjusting to the kind of roster that he has whereas Pirlo's like okay obviously we've got strong center backs when they're healthy and we saw against Dinamo what you know a Benucci Delic Demerol backline could be and I think we can all agree yeah we're okay with that so you know it, it's it's going to be a thing where he's experimenting and he's trying to find pieces and right right places to play people like say Federico Chiesa in his more natural right wing position Funny how that turned out, didn't it? I think Sergio, you mentioned it in your grab bag. What a <laughs> what a wild concept to play Federico Chiesa on the right instead of the left, and suddenly has arguably his best game of the season. But I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Going back to the, the Dinamo Kiev game specifically, what did you guys like? What didn't you like besides, you know, now we have Mary Demerol on the sidelines again and and obviously – we hope that this trend of at least solid performances continue, but where 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 does this fall in the 
kind of leaving you in terms of at least a little hopeful for the for the next few weeks. And and, and that and that's what sucks because you know the the thing I actually liked the most was that three man backline was so with like three actual central defenders which we hadn't seen so far because of depth issues mostly but but we just hadn't seen that we had seen a sort of quasi three man backline with a sort of quasi center back in Danilo but he really wasn't you know it was in transition it was something else it was this whole this whole thing this whole fluid system that Andrea Pirlo wants to have and for the first time we actually got a three man backline with three center backs and for the most part, it looked pretty good. It looked pretty decent. And now we just don't know when we're going to get that back because Chiellini's out as well. Demiras is out. I don't know if they're going to give our, our you know, young guy who I cannot believe is 18 years old, the, the young center back, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Dragusin. Thank you. Or the Dragusin or Dragusin. I cannot believe that that kid is 18 either. Just in the same way, you can't believe Matthias Delic is 21. Look, yeah, I mean, they're both the exact same size. Like, at, if I were to run into either one of those two dudes full speed, I'd disappear. He, he does not look a day older than 31. Like, I mean, it, it's insane. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I don't know if they give him a shot or are they going to switch back to that kind of like Danilo type of thing. So, it's going to be interesting. Like, I just don't know what what they're going to do in terms of continuity because if you just can't even have the same lineup on two, three games in a row, that's going to be tough. Apart from, you know, what, what Sergio just mentioned, Alexandro, like some vintage Alexandro, like going back to that first year that he was with, you know, that cross to Chiesa for the goal was really, really beautiful. He was up and down the field all day long. I, I think that getting a little bit more of a, you know, route one down the left, get him into a crossing position and let him work, as opposed to especially last year when he had to, you know, work the, the Saudi buildup is, is going to do well for him. And also, you mentioned this in your piece, in your reaction piece, Danny, the, the, there was improvement out of Rodrigo Bentancourt, which I was really happy to see because he hadn't been starting the season well, but he, he, he played a lot, a lot better. Weston McKennie probably had his best game since the Sampdoria game, if not, maybe even a little better. So yeah, there were, I mean, there were some definite positives coming out of this game. There are, you know, just give you a pause, you know, you see Chiesa so much better on that right hand side than when Pirlo has been trying to use him on the left, that creates quite the logjam there. And by extension, really thins out the left behind Sandro. You know, you've got basically Chiesa, Kulusevsky, Quadrado, all of whom are best on that right side if you're going to put them out on that wingback side. And, and this this kind of goes back to something I was something that I was talking to with some of the, the people in our Juventus club empire state WhatsApp chat today is, you know, Fabio Paratici has come out with some, some really great individual moves since he's taken over for Beppe Marotta, but I'm really starting to question whether and how he can really build a squad from top to bottom because you know, I, I wrote that piece a couple of weeks ago during the international break about 
the the concerns I had with depth and the concerns that I've had with depth on the team in the past. And it's it's coming back to bite us again. You know, just when we thought we we had the center back depth back again, Demerol, re, you know, must have react reaggravated that injury. And now we we're down to three again. Plus, if Dragusin decide if Pirlo decides Dragusin can get some minutes, it's not good. Like I'm like I'm actively wondering like is there do we have the ability to recall Daniele Rugani or Christian Romero from those loans in January to cover because you know it's as much as I love him I you can't count on Giorgio Chiellini being able to play a big part in this season at the moment and you know you you're gonna need cover for him and you're gonna need some experienced cover for for that position and you know to to go into to go into the season with only four center backs and a Danilo was such a short-sighted thing and and also with the and you know also with with fullbacks and wingbacks you know like I said you know Sandra you know a lot of guys can play on the right in that position right now the as a most as at his most effective the only player that is there is Sandro because everybody else that could play on that in that spot is much better on the right. Not only four center backs and Danilo, but one of those center backs is Giorgio Chiellini, who, as we obviously know and have documented for weeks on weeks on weeks, I mean, he's, he's now to the point where if he makes it a couple of weeks without getting hurt, it's somewhat of a big deal just because we're so conditioned now to him playing a game or two, getting hurt, then he's out for a couple of weeks and then just rinse repeat. And here we go again. I mean, he made it what one day of full training before he got hurt again this time. Yeah. So we, we say it all the time. We love the guy, but at this point, his body is just betraying him. And you know, he's got, it the always play- kind of has, I mean the muscle in. Yeah. I mean, he's got a playing style where he obviously is very physical and doesn't exactly lend itself to long-term <laughs> long-term healthiness, but you just look at the injuries he's had since the major knee injury and even going a year or so before that, it's these types of muscle injuries that are just constantly hampering him and he just, he just can't shake it. And that's why you look at the depth right now and it's kind of like, okay, it's Delict, Bonucci, Demerol when he's healthy, Danilo, and then Chiellini, whatever the hell he can bring to the table, it seems like it's going to be a plus at this point. Yeah, and, and it, it sucks because, uh, you know, the, the way this team is built, I think it'd be a great team outside of that, that center-back issue that, that, you know, we all know and that you just discussed. I think it'd be a great team for any other point in, in Juventus' last 10 years. And, and what I mean by that is that it's a very deep team. It's a team that actually can, can change and can adapt and, when you look at the bench, it's like you can throw in guys that can actually be difference makers and can actually, you know, really give you a change of pace. You, you have options, which a fun thing to do is go, go stroll down memory lane and go look at the, the Champions League finals and see who they subbed in when they needed, like, a guy to make a difference. And it's, it's, it's dudes like, you know, the immortal Mario Lemina and – Thomas Rincon and, and things Adeline. like that, which is like, Adeline. Adeline. It, it, it's nuts. <laughs> it's like, how do you, Rob how the, is this? Robbie P in the first one, Rob, Roberto Pereira. Yeah. It's like, who are, why are you, how come this is your best shot at turning the game around? 
And now you look at the bench and it's like you have, you know, you're, you know, depending on who you decide to start, but you do have a Kulusevsky to throw out there. You do have a Kiesa. You do have a, even Bernardeski who's been playing better as of late. If you didn't start Ramsey, you can throw in Ramsey. You can throw in Dybala. Like, you have so many guys. I don't know if Ramsey is being much of a difference maker the way he's been playing the last couple of weeks. Not recently, but, you know, again, we're talking about Tomas Rincon being the guy you're throwing out there, you know. So, like, at least Ramsey has something that he he can, you know, bring. It just – it's such a good team when you just look at it on a depth basis. Even the midfield, I think, has a lot of, you know, moving parts. I think – it's a very well-constructed team. And the only problem is that center-back problem depth and, you know, the fact that it's a new manager. So you do kind of want to have some sort of consistency with the guys you, you play with, but you have so many guys that you have to rotate and you have so many games that you have to rotate. And that kind of complicates everything. And it's just, you know, I don't want to start making excuses for, for Andrea Pirlo, especially when the season is, far far from over and, and things are going you know relatively okay so far but it, it's it sucks like he was put in such a hard position to to succeed at least this season especially with the team he has which I contend is one of the most talented teams we've had in the last five years like top to bottom it's actually I I think I underestimated quite how much the changes to the season were going to affect how Pirlo's job was going to, how hard Pirlo's job was going to be. It, it, it didn't fully hit me until the champions league started and we were truly playing every, like, you know, I was thinking to myself, Oh, you know, you play champions league group stage a lot. This, this is, you know, they do this, this, they've been doing this for almost 10 years with the, you know, putting the champion, you know, putting the champions league in and, and, you know, having to, but this this really is a whole nother level to that especially when you you throw in the way that games were during the restart of the 2019-20 season and and that ridiculous pace and that they only got about 5 6 weeks to recover from that i i i i think i badly underestimated frankly i'll admit i badly underestimated how I thought how much this was going to affect the way Pirlo had to do his job. You don't, you kind of don't really realize it until it's already here. Like we had what a couple, a couple of games and then an international break. So that's something we're used to. And then all of a sudden, like we said, the champions league arrives and it's like, it's like, Oh, but then it was three weeks and then another international break. So it's like, okay, we're used to that. But now where we're looking at, 10 games in a month, you know, 10 and 10 games in 30 days where it's literally a game every three days when you do the math. And it's just, it, and then beforehand we were, before we hit record, we were talking about what the schedule is going to be like in January and it's going to be just as bad. And then in February, like I think Sam alluded to just where the Copa Italia fits into it. And then there's going to be champions league as well. And it's just, it's going to be nonstop until that, I think that, that first international break of 2021 hits. And I mean, who, (laughs) obviously injuries and the virus, and hopefully there's, you know, a vaccine going through Europe. So knock on wood, that, that improves the situation by a bit, but who knows how these players are going to be feeling by the time, you know, March, April, 
of 2021 arrives because it's been nonstop for by that time, four or five months. Yeah, 100%. And, and the thing is, you know, I would maybe be a little bit more worried overall about, you know, this, this kind of like constant, you know, lack of stability and lack of consistency from the team. But at the same time, I don't even think it's a, you know, it's a thing exclusively related to, to Juventus. I think it's happening all over Europe. Like, I mean, you look at, at the standings right now, outside of Bayern Munich, who, you know, continues to be excellent. But, you know, even they have had a couple iffy games here and there that they haven't looked that great. But you look all over Europe, like Liverpool, who was, you know, one of the powerhouses, is, you know, has a lot of injuries. They just lost to Atalanta. You look at, you know, Barcelona, who, you know, sometimes plays great, sometimes plays terribly, and it's losing against Minos and La Liga. Same goes for Real Madrid, for example. Like, they, like they're just, they just lost to Shakhtar in the, I think, last Champions League match. They, they could very well be out of the Champions League in the round of 16. Like, that's a possibility. Like, every team is right now kind of suffering from this. Even teams with some sort of semblance of consistency, they are suffering from this. So, you know, you obviously see it with teams who have like new managers or new, you know, styles of play or whatever. But this is something that's definitely kind of like a common theme for this season. And it, I think it's going to keep going like this because, as you guys mentioned, like the crunch is not going to stop when the calendar turns to 2021, right? Like it's going to keep going. And, and I mean, it's just going to be a, a bonker season all like all around, like not only domestically, but, you know, at the European level as well. So, I mean, I obviously hope that, that Juventus starts showing us a little bit more consistency, but I, I think at some point it's a little bit, I don't know if unfair is the right word, but, you know, it's such an unprecedented situation. I don't know when can we say, oh, if they're not playing better in, I don't know, February, we can say this is not working. Like, who knows? I mean, this is happening all over. I guess with that being said, how much worry or stock do we put into the the fact that Juve's away form has been, uh, let's say, subpar at best, and that you know the the relegation battlers is it seems like that's that's the thing giving them the most trouble this year because you look at it, it's Benevento draw, Crotone draw, and you know draws against teams as we've said before, they should be beating ten times out of ten. It's definitely concerning, but I just, and, and especially since, I mean, they're doing this in situations without fans. Like they're going into, they're going into away stadiums that are essentially new. Essentially every stadium is a neutral venue at this point in Italy right now, because of all the, because of the restrictions. And they're still just coming up really, really flat. And you know, I, I just, I don't, and, and it's been like this since the, since the end of the restart. They had the big, you know, the big collapse loss against AC Milan at the San Siro. They had the big collapse draw against Sassuolo at the Mape Stadium. They lost, I mean, that, I mean, well, okay, this was after we had clinched the Scudetto, but losing to Cagliari, you know, at in Sardinia. And that is a question that needs to be resolved pretty quickly because you've got Atalanta, Inter, and AC Milan all coming up in fairly rapid succession in the next month. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think all three of those games are away games. 
believe you are correct. And if things get dropped in those games, especially if they end up losses, which given the fact that it's Atalanta, Inter, and AC Milan, all three of those teams are capable of winning those games, that could put Juve into a really bad situation in the, in the Serie A table very quickly. You know, in a, in a normal season, having all those three games right in a row uh, and having all those three games on the road early would be a big advantage because then you'd have all the returns late at, in, front of the, in front of the fans at the J Stadium. Now, good, you know, goodness knows how many people are going to get, be able to, you know, get vaccinated and, and, and be able to be at, at games by the time those returns come around. You know, if you end up, you know, I th- think Juve is what, six points down right now? Yes. Six points down right now, you could wind up double digits from the lead pretty quick if, if those, if those three games go south and, you know, teams and teams above them like Milan and, and Sassuolo don't cooperate and drop points along the way. So that away form does have to get fixed quickly or else the streak is going to be in dire jeopardy for the first time, to- for really for the first time since the big comeback in 15 and 16. Uh, I, I would agree with Sam on, on the thing that right now, you know, the the way thing is pretty, I mean, pretty relative because like, like you guys said, right? Like it's an empty stadium. Like it's pretty much a neutral venue. I think outside of the Benevento match, which was again, like the, that second half was awful. I think outside of that match, the other two games have been just one of those things that is just unlucky and they happen to be away. And that's that. I, I still wouldn't really put all that much stock in Juventus' abilities to win or to not win, you know, while being the visiting team, especially because, you know, they, they beat Kiev in Ukraine. They beat Ferenc Paris in Hungary, you know, and those actually, they had fans. So it's not like, you know, I mean, they can go to a different country actually and beat teams. I don't think that, you know, Crotone or, you know, Hellas Verona, or, you know, all those guys are particularly better or worse than, you know, Kiev and Ferenc Bar. So I, I don't think it's necessarily a thing about not being able to win when you visit. But we're actually, like Sam said, I think it's time to actually prove it against quality competition. And that's coming quick. So I think if, if you lose those games, and we're looking way, way ahead, but if you do lose those games and AC Milan continue to look the way they have been looking, which is, you know, very much kind of like a, a team that is for real, you know, that's going to be tough. That, that, that would be very challenging for them to kind of mount a comeback on the, on the second half of the season, for sure. I will say one thing that, you know, you, you have these, these big games coming up, and don't forget that Sassuolo is also thrown in there as well, and Sassuolo, is, Sassuolo registers as a big game right now the way they've been playing. Juventus have had a habit even from the latter years of the Allegri era of playing down to their competition. You know, what were the two best games of Saudi of uh, under Saudi last year? They were the Inter games. The, this team, I mean, it's, you don't like to see a team kind of flick the switch on and off, but they've done that 
in the these past few years, especially you know when you have the the inters the the Milans the Napolis it when you think about that first half against Napoli last year week two um the the better the competition, the better they have tended to play what you've said I think it's so like it's such a key point because really like right now we're everyone's kind of panicking a little bit and we're like looking at like, oh, we're six points of the, of the lead and whatnot. But I don't think despite everything we've talked about and despite everything we, we kind of want to see from this team and despite all the changes and despite all the talent, at, in a lot of ways, it hasn't been that different from other starts of the season when they don't look super convincing and they don't come out roaring out of the gate. Like the, the only difference, I guess, right now is that we haven't been getting those breaks to win the games late. Because if you think about it, the Crotone game, they were a couple, like one offside call, one of those millimetrical offside calls away from getting the W. And against Verona, I think they were like, you know, they, they hit the post a couple times, things like that. Just things that seemed to go Juventus' way in previous seasons are kind of not going their way right now. I just wanted to add one thing and then we can jump over to the Twitter questions. I think sure. maybe part of the reason why people are freaking out and maybe not to the same extent that the Italian media is freaking out where, you know, it's obviously crazy Juve or anything like that. But the schedule, at least to begin the domestic season has been rather favorable. I mean, we look at, you know, as, as I mentioned before, we were talking about it before we went on and it was, you know, January, you look at it, it's Milan, it's Inter, it's, it's all these teams. And I mean, even at the end of this, this current run, it's, it's Sassuolo, it's Atalanta. It, it's, is backloaded with the teams that are ahead of Juventus currently. And I mean, what's the best domestic team that Juventus has faced this year? Is it Roma? I mean, Roma, I mean, is it Lazio? I mean, it's, it's been a bunch of mid table and below kind of teams. So, you know, I think the hope was, you know, Pirlo can hopefully rack up some, some capital in those games as he's learning on the job. And then obviously see where they stand against the bigger clubs, but because it's been so up and down against the mid table and lower table teams, it's like, okay, where, where do we stand truly with these teams? Because we're so used to, you know, Juventus beating the Benevento's and the Crotone's of the world and, and all that. So um, I don't know, maybe that's just me, but it, it's something that popped in my head where it's like, this schedule is, is, you know, we're used to, you know, maybe facing a couple mid-table teams and then, okay, here comes Inter. And then a couple of games and, okay, there's Roma or, or, or Milan or whatever. But now it's like, okay, we've got well, – what we're – let me look it up real quick. We we're, we're talking about it beforehand. But it's just, you know, in January, it's just almost like one after another of teams that are really solid teams rather than here's Benevento and, and Hellas and, and all those. So. It's also, I think, just a matter of, you know, we're starting to get a little spoiled. Of course. Over the last nine <laughs> years. Like, like frankly, our, the, the expectations on, on this team have, the, the goalposts of the expectations for Juventus have moved so quickly. Like, people forget that when Antonio Conte was first hired in 2011, the hope was to make it into the Champions League. Like, maybe we'd get into the Champions League. The Europa League probably would have been an acceptable result 
for everybody involved going into that year. And then the undefeated season happened and all of a sudden everyone's going, all right, well now we'll get back into where we belong in the champions league. And obviously that wasn't, you know, was a couple of years coming because the team wasn't good enough for that. And, you know, here we are nine years later, still with those same expectations. I think, you know, the idea, you know, we've said this on the pod before the idea that the team was one Ronaldo away from, from winning the champions league was, I think, a, 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 some somewhat flawed thought, but also a product of these expectations combined with decent results with the results that we had had the last couple of years when it wasn't really there. And I think that the expectations kind of inflate what people want out of this team out of proportion of what it necessarily can do. Um, You know, this, we we all looked at the, we were all looking at this as at the very least a retooling year if not a full on rebuilding year so it's and and then to you know we, these struggles were going to happen we should have seen we like we should have seen these all coming but instead there's a lot of upset in the fan base because we're so used to not having to deal with this stuff and haven't been for so long and and I think you know this is a bit of a this is a bit of a reality check, but one that maybe the fan base and the team itself needs. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And you know this is I, I will count myself as one of those that probably had not you know like like all of like both of you guys just mentioned. You know I I also underestimated the impact of you know all of the the you know very specific conditions of this season. Let's put it that way, but. Also, and, you know, it's fine if we don't, you know, win the league running away. Like, you're not always going to win the league running away with dates, like with match days to spare, right? I mean, I think that's that's fair to say. So I think it is good for the team to right now have to kind of like battle a little and kind of, you know, understand that they're that like the league title in Italy is not a God-given right to Juventus just because they've won it nine times in a, in a row, you know? Yes, it is, Sergio. Yes, it is. Yeah, I mean, you know, like, that's the thing. Like, we've won it so much and so often that is like, if we don't win it, it's awful. And I get that that point. But at the same time, when you look at the team, just name by name, player by player, there is no team in Italy that, that comes even close to the level of talent that Juventus has. So they should be favorites. They should have that expectation. They should be winning the league title with the – you know, just the talent gap between them and the other teams, the money gap between them and other teams, they should be winning. Now, with that being said, does the best team always wins? Of course not. Like Sam mentioned, like that very first Scudetto year, I don't think, you know, player by player, you know, line by line, Juventus had the best team, but they did win because they were the team that played the best together. So I think that's the thing with this Juventus squad right now they have to figure out a way to really exploit and really take advantage of that you know massive talent gap they have between them and the other Italian teams and if Andrea Pirlo manages to do that then they should be fine by the end of the year but we'll see they'll 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 have their their trial by fire soon enough actually so we'll see what happens all right time for some Twitter questions we'll start out 
two folks, two, uh, two friends of the podcast and blog, pretty much asking the same thing from our good buddy at Handy Vandy and from David Desperate at the True ROIC asking about all the injuries and whatnot to the center backs. And we'll go with Handy Vandy's question. Uh, Chiellini is probably going to be retiring soon after yet another injury. Who do you think will be added to the roster or will get more playing time due to this? And he, he adds that Matthias Salik doesn't count because he's a shoe-in and obviously Demerol is injured again. And he also, since he is very much a Federico Bernadeschi loyalist, shout out to both of the Fetis from Florence who were purchased from Florence because uh, they've been playing well lately. Sorry, is the question this season or who's going to replace him on the roster next year? I'll go with this season, seeing as I'm not trying to think about anything other than this season at this point, yeah. because it's 2020. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, start thinking ahead, and 2020 is going to give you one less. You know, there's still time for Cthulhu to show up at this point. I mean, it, when he's healthy, the biggest beneficiary of this is Demerol. The question is, how long is he going to be out? He's not, you know, there's not even going to be a timeline on him for another 10 days. It It's, it's going to be a question of how comfortable is Pirlo with pulling, you know, somebody like Dragusin or maybe somebody like Paolo Gozzi, who Allegri had a run, gave a run out against Spal that one game when he like played the entire scrubs so that he could rest people for, for Ajax lot fat, lot of good that ended up doing, but the, you know, how, how comfortable is he and in what games, especially like, you know, like we said, the games that you would think that you would maybe give some of the younger kids like Dragusin a run are running out at least in this turn of the schedule. They've already been played. (laughs) Yeah. Those games have already been played. So you're looking at this point at, the fact at the at Delict, Bonucci, and Danilo really being leaned on hard. And, you know, maybe if you get, gosh, who's even left in the Andata uh, beyond the guys that you don't want to be playing? Maybe against Genoa or Parma uh, or Udinese, maybe you could let, you could give one of those guys a run. But beyond that, un- unless and until Demerol gets there, I think that the, those top, those three guys are going to be getting leaned on real hard. Yeah, I think like Sam said, I mean, I think the answer is no one. Like, I mean, just whoever can do it. <laughs> Whoever's healthy is going to play. Whoever's healthy is going to be the beneficiary there. I mean, I-, I think, and I think Sam mentioned it earlier, but I don't know if it's even a possibility to bring in one of the guys we loaned out back or something like that. or maybe get creative in the in the winter transfer season or something because at this point Chiellini like we said it is what it is so I think you do need to bring in another guy or just believe in the 30 year old dude who is apparently 18 but other than that you don't really have much 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 options I will say though I was always a big fan of Daniele Rugani I don't know why we loaned him out man I think that guy he was a big piece (laughs) I think we should have kept him. He was a great locker room guy. I mean, just 
You should have kept them. Oh, the turnaround. <laughs> I do think they should have kept at least one of them. Like either Rugani or Romero, they should have kept one. I, I did. I do think that loaning both of them out was, was kind of reckless, and you know they're paying it now. You just wanted the it chance was... to get a Juve Romero shirt. That's what you wanted. Yeah, I kind of did. And that kind of <laughs> <laughs> the, I have seen at least one, maybe two reports connecting us to the uh, another really young guy. He's tw- only twenty years old for, uh, from Hellas Verona, Matteo Lovato. Yeah. Um, that, was, those those pretty much started right after he played really well against Juventus. But the but that's you know if if they're really interested in him and they're still ending up with a, a really dire depth situation center back, a, a winter run for somebody like him as coverage, and then you know to either being the long term replacement on the roster for Chiellini, or you know as a guy that they'll they'd loan out for a little for a season after this isn't necessarily out of the question either. I mean, we can all agree that they need at least somebody, at least one more body for yeah, cover, no, correct? They, yeah, no, yeah, that's it. They need a body. They, there needs to be a body. And that's why, you know, like you said, Sergio, loaning out both Romero and Rugani at the same time was obscenely irresponsible. But yeah, th- there needs to be one more body in that, in that center back room. All right, we'll wrap things up on this question from... Another friend of the podcast at Juve Therapy, Juan Cuadrado or Federico Chiesa? I assume that's for the right wing back position. I mean, I think they, they bring you different things, right? I mean, I think Cuadrado is more of a, you know, he gives you a little bit more defense at times, I guess. He, you know, he's kind of like more the, the steadier hand overall. And, you know, Federico Chiesa is kind of like an unproven commodity at that spot. So I, I think he gives you that. But the ceiling with Federico Chiesa is so much higher. I mean, what the way he played against Kiev was really, I mean, it really showed flashes of why they brought him in and why he was so, you know, heavily courted by by Juventus and why they're going to pay a, a pretty substantial amount for him in in two years' time. I think. So you know, obviously, when if if you're looking for for him to develop, I think in the future, I think that has to be Chiesa's. Kiesa's spot right now. Right now, though, I think Juan Cuadrado has won that just by seniority, just by what he brings day in, day out. I think he's the steadier hand overall. If you were to play a big Champions League game, I think he would get the nod. But, you know, in the future, I think Kiesa is going to be the guy who, who's going to have to handle that, that flank. And we're not even talking about another option, Dejan Kulusevski, another dude who, who could you know, that's not his best spot, obviously, but he could very easily fill in there. So they do have kind of like a, a lot of guys for that position. That's that's one part of the field where they don't have a, a depth problem for once. I think it comes down to what you're what you need in a given game. You know, I think if you're looking at a, a game where it's like, you know, second leg of a two legged tie and you're protecting a lead, then you want Quadrado in there. You want that guy who has more experience who is a little bit better from a defensive standpoint, although Chiesa did play very well defensively yesterday as well. If you're go, if you're looking at a game like the game we're about to play in five, five, six days time against Barcelona, when you've got to score a bunch of goals in order to get, you know, a result that you want, then I think Chiesa is the guy. 
because like you said, Sergio, the, the, the ceiling, especially offensively is so much higher. You know, Juan's obvious Juan's always been obscenely talented, but he is older. He's, you know, he's reached, I think the peak of what he'll do. And like you said, Sergio, long-term Chiesa is, is the guy in that spot. But for this year, it, I think it comes down to the situation. I think you have to use them situationally and, and based on what you need in a given, in a given match. Yeah. I think picking, picking and choosing the situation is very much what Pirlo, at least hopefully these next few weeks will do. And, you know, going forward, it, it's, it's a luxury. I mean, you know, you've got two of the best right wingers or, you know, right wing backs, uh, if we want to call them that in the, in the league on your roster. So you've, you've got a, a nice problem to have as people like to say, thank you very much for your Twitter questions to those three gents who sent them in. As always, you can send us your Twitter questions at Juventus nation on the good old Twitter machine can find us on other social media platforms like facebook by searching black and white and red all over you can also find us on apple itunes and apple Podcasts by searching black and white and red all over same goes for spotify same goes for google podcasts and if by chance spotify says we have been one of your most listened to podcasts of the year let us know and we will we will brag about you forever They've been popping up throughout my Twitter feed the last few days, so it'd be interesting to see where we fall amongst your favorites. As always, you can you can listen to us on, on those different podcasting platforms. Shout out Chucks once again for his book. You can find it all on his website. It is listed in the book chat podcast that we did a few weeks back, and also it will be listed in his monthly recap for the month of November going forward. And I have been told there's a special treat for the blog loyalists in terms of said monthly recap. So for the aforementioned Chucks, for Sam and for Sergio, this is Danny saying thank you very much for listening and we'll talk to you guys next week.